There's four things it takes for someone to be successful in a role. They've got to have the right skill set. They've got to have the right mindset. They've got to have the right work ethic. And they have to have the right resources and the right deployment utilization of those resources. It's really incumbent upon the manager to understand what resources are necessary to be successful and then to help someone learn how to deploy those resources successfully given all the conditions of that job. It's the manager's job to meet the employee where they are. It's not the other way around. I used to think that relationships were 50-50, you know, let's meet in the middle, and I've learned that's really dangerous. Relationships go so much better when I attempt to meet you all the way where you are and you try to meet me all the way where I am, and it just, it works better. That's John Oberg, a brilliant expert when it comes to creating exceptional business results through strengthening professional relationships. John had a very successful 11-year career with Cutco Vector, culminating in a role as a division manager. In 2007, he founded his own company to advise organizations and leaders, invest in like-minded businesses, and help incubate new teams with the potential to serve others. His clientele includes companies from early stage to billions in revenue, as well as nonprofits and even the U.S. military. John's business life intersects people and performance. His insights can help you scale your business by learning how to leverage the power of exceptional relationships. This conversation will blow your mind with the potential that is right in front of you. I'm grateful to introduce John Oberg. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast today. My guest is John Oberg, and I'm really excited about this conversation. John started with Cutco way back in 1992. He was a college student at uh, University of Southern California, and he advanced as far as division manager in the company over a period of about 11 years working with Cutco Vector. Uh, He left at that time to pursue other interests. That has all led to where he is today, which is the CEO and founder of his own company called John Oberg Companies, which is involved in advisory and investment and incubation of other firms and organizations. John's company is focused on improving performance in the workplace by improving professional relationships. That's a lot of what we'll talk about today. I'm very excited to have him as a guest. So John Oberg, thanks so much for being here. Absolutely, Dan. Great to see you again. Yeah, it's really cool to reconnect because uh, we go way back all the way to 1992 uh, out here uh, 
in California with Cutco. So tell us a little bit about how you got started with the company. It's funny. I think it's probably different today, but uh, my mom wanted me to get a job between my freshman and sophomore years of college. And there was a newspaper, you know, with all the classified ads, (laughs) this one big ad stuck out and it, uh, it looked lucrative. And uh, I went to the interview and I saw everything in the interview going on and was just, you know, super impressed by the quality of the product and the manager, Mark McDonald was a guy that I really looked up to. And the interview I recall being, you know, some difficult questions around commitment and a desire to move forward. And I just really wanted to have an opportunity to be successful. And yeah, so I remember the interview pretty clearly. And I remember how excited I was when I was offered the position and uh, showing up to training. And as they say, the rest was kind of history. I remember my first appointment was for uh, one of my high school teachers that I had stayed friends with over the years. And uh, I didn't have the most amazing fast start in the world, but uh, I was willing to kind of work really hard to make myself successful and learn a ton. That's great. That's great. Well, what are some of the experiences that you had that stand out from those early days? Yeah, I remember one time we had this weekend contest about a certain number of orders. My manager wanted to see people turn it over the weekend, and it was, you know, a pretty big, unreasonable number of orders. I think it was like fifteen or sixteen orders over, you know, two or three day period. And I, I hit the number. I went out and I really worked my tail off, and I think it got me thinking just differently about what I was able to accomplish if I really put my mind to it. And attitude is a huge part of what you know, Cutco taught me. And I think you're big on attitude. I remember lots of talks you've given over the years about attitude. And that's something that's really stuck with me. How you think determines a lot of your life. It's one of the mm-hmm. two things you get to control. And I, I really, really made that real in my time with Vector. Yeah. You, you just said how you think is one of the two things you get to control. What, what do you feel is the other one? It's how you act, right? Those are the only two things you get in your, in your world are how you think and how you act, like th- your thoughts and your actions. That's all you get. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. What uh, are some of the most enduring lessons that you learned during your time at Cutco that you still share with others to this day? I'm really glad that you gave me the the chance to think about that before I came on the show, because as I thought about it, the lessons were incredibly numerous. And so I thought like, there's a whole bunch of things I learned when I was a rep. And there's a whole different series of things that I got to learn as a manager, both just invaluable sets of, you know, tools that I took on professionally for the rest of my career. Yeah, let's take both of those things. Yeah, well, as a rep, I think I remember sitting down and putting my calendar together and really thinking through how to work through a week. And I remember someone handing me the seven habits of highly effective people and first things first by Stephen Covey and learning about personal productivity. And, you know, years later after Cutco, I learned about getting things done. And, but all of that really went back to my manager teaching me in the training seminar how to think through my work week, how to balance my school and my work, how to make sure that I had time for my friends and fun and how to put it all in there and, and how to enjoy downtime. And I really learned that with Cutco. Like I didn't, I was never as thoughtful about my calendar before that. And so that was a really big one for me, was just understanding the value of time. And, and years later, what I didn't know then was that in, in my work that I do with other companies now, I find that people are chasing money or they're chasing time. And typically, the people mm. that are chasing money eventually start chasing time. Right. That's a great insight. Yeah. So I, I think I learned about the value of that time very early on. And uh, I didn't. I didn't fully realize what I was learning until much later, but I look back with you know great gratitude about those early lessons. Yeah. How, how about manager lessons? For manager lessons, I would say that I learned a lot about being able to influence people. And I learned the difference between managing someone, coaching someone, 
training someone and mentoring someone. And, and there's, I didn't have the words for it when I was managing people, but there's really different sets of skill sets. And with Cutco, when you're a manager, you really get the opportunity to do all of those things. And you know, I've worked with companies that are some of the largest companies in the world as clients. I've been into the US military to teach on leadership. I will say that some of the best training that I've received happened at Cutco. And there are so few opportunities for a young person to get that level of training, even across all of some of the biggest companies in the world. And there are companies with great training programs out there, but they're not as numerous as one would hope. Mm. So uh, looking back on it, I would say that there were lots of people that I worked with that really took the value of that training and really maximized their opportunity in their work with Cutco. And there are people that sometimes just don't pay attention to what's right in front of them. And so it's really interesting that I meet the people now. I look for people that have Cutco experience in my professional life because I want to know how they responded to that opportunity. And it tells me so much about how we're going to interact, right, as professionals today. And there's a couple other companies that I would look at in the same light, but it's interesting to see just how deliberate and, and helpful the coaching that Cutco does is even today. So learning about influence, learning about skill development, learning about coaching somebody, learning about mentoring someone and getting to think long-term, and then really talking about like problem solving. And then today, you guys are amazing innovation. I get to hear about all the ways that managers have the room to innovate. You know, my, my master's degree uh, has two focuses. One is policy and planning, but one is about technology management. And so uh, I'm really sensitive to how much room a manager gets to both be successful by having the right programs, but also how to improve those programs and giving the opportunity to make them better with low risk. So I really am just impressed by how the company is doing that today. Mm, that, that's a cool testament to all the things happening in, in Cutco right now and, and throughout the years. Thank you for for sharing that. I'd love to hear more about just some of the things that uh, you learned or experiences you had that were transformational during your days with Cutco that uh, have stuck with you up until now? There were a few of them. I remember a letter I got from a rep when I was a branch manager, and they had a knee injury. They were a college athlete, uh, and she had a real lack of confidence in her ability to come back. And we had this conversation, but I still remember about you know believing in herself and being able to do it. And uh, after the summer, you know, she left the organization, but I got this note six or eight months later about that conversation and about how she believed in herself because I believed in her and it changed her way of thinking. And it really took her onto a much better course for her college career. And so I think learning how to believe in people and how to really be giving over and over and over again, it was a testament to the people that I grew up in the business with. I remember, you know, Steve Weber just having this amazing attitude and Ed Vega Mm -hmm. And then, uh, that, you know, one of my lifelong mentors has been Amar DeVay, who I know you've had on your show. And uh, he and I have become just very, very good friends over the years. And so, you know, 17 years after having left the company, we still talk on a regular basis. And just, I really am grateful for the relationships that I've been able to build throughout the years, not just in the company, but after leaving the company. Steve Weber and Ed Vega were some of the early influences on you in those those uh, those first few years. Yeah, you know, I, I remember Steve talking about how he wanted to have a convertible house one day instead of a convertible car. Like I just, <laughs> I mean, just, just so many fun things that happened, and and so many names that if you didn't know the history of Cutco may not mean a lot to someone just starting. But you know, Mike and Jody Glimpse, and uh, you know, the people I got to come up in the business with, and uh, I just, I'm really, really 
grateful to have been that fortunate to have been around that many amazing people. Yeah. You know, I think Steve might have a convertible house by now. I know he's, <laughs> he's got like a four hole golf course in his backyard or something like that. So he's, uh, he's done really well for himself. And, yeah. and you, you got to work with PJ Potter in New Mexico for a while. You no, know, I did. Yeah. I, I, my, my third year of college, I transferred out to the university of New Mexico and there was no office there for a couple months. And then PJ Potter moved into New Mexico and PJ had just this amazing impact on me personally in my career as well. And really taught me about the business. Like, you know, he was the first guy that really introduced me uh, all the way into the management part of the business. I'd been an assistant manager for a summer, but he really took me under his wing and uh, helped me to understand the numbers and the metrics and uh, the why we do what we do. And he taught me some important lessons too. I'll never forget, we used to go to this uh, horrible hot dog stand for lunch and he would always buy me lunch, but he'd always make me pay a dollar. Right. And so, and, and so no matter where we went to lunch, expensive, inexpensive, whatever it was, he was always incredibly generous, but he wanted me to know, like, you know, you got to pay for it too. And it wasn't, I, I thought it, it never came across poorly to me. It was always something I really respected, like no free lunches. Right. Ah, huh. interesting. I like yeah. that concept. Yeah. And your path with Cutco really took you all across the country, right? Yeah, it did. So I was, I was in New Mexico and then PJ moved out to Austin, Texas. And I went to Austin, Texas for a semester of school and uh getting ready for my branch summer and then after i went to with with pj to austin i went back to new mexico to open up the branch office in new mexico and then i stayed in new mexico for a few years then i uh, amar devey asked me to move to jacksonville florida or maybe i asked him if i could move with him there was some there were some lines moving in the company and i i moved to jacksonville for a year and lived in florida there and then i was promoted into a division manager slot in kentucky and so I had uh, responsibility for, uh, you know, Kentucky and Tennessee and that part of the country. Wow. Really cool. And then how about uh, after you left Cutco? Where, where did the path take you at first? Well, so at that point, I went back to New Mexico and I was going to get an MBA. And so I went back to college to get some more schooling. And I had some really interesting opportunities to work with one of the top researchers in the world in the management of technology. And he introduced me to consulting inside the nuclear laboratories. So I started working with like intellectual property and uh, doing consulting projects with him in different companies. And I really got to learn much more about like the operation side of business and how technology S curves work. And uh, it was just, it was a great learning experience for me to put the things that I knew about people into practice in a, uh, a different context, which was really, really fantastic. And that's where your, your professional career after Cutco began there? Yeah, so I did that and I was working in many different companies, you know, as a student consultant and then was started a company that did uh, credit card transactions. Uh, and this is back before smartphones. So I helped to write the patent with a transaction that would be done via text message. So you could actually take credit cards via text message in a very secure fashion. And so it was super cool. I was too early. You know, smartphones came out later and, you know, you saw Square and all these companies take off with millions, hundreds of millions of dollars of venture capital. And uh, I was just a little bit too early, but some fun things came out of that, like having a phone call with a venture firm out of the CIA that was really interested in how you could secure messages remotely through a mobile phone. It's like, so if I had a mobile phone in this country that had never been secured before and you could secure it remotely, <laughs> it's like, ooh. Huh. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, that is cool. Now, how did this lead you to where you are today, John? 
Well, so after that company, I started it too early. We ran out of money. And so I left that company. I went to work for a private equity firm, a small private equity firm called a search fund. And we did a turnaround. And so that was a manufacturing company. I went in and did that. And after I helped that company get turned around, I was introduced to someone who was doing training and boutique management consulting. And so I got into this uh, boutique management consulting where I was really focused on people. So I was focused on executive teams and then revenue generation inside of companies. And I helped companies of all different sizes. So from kind of the biggest financial institutions in the country and the US military, all the way down to companies that were just starting up. And so I helped a couple hundred companies that, you know, with various issues around executive leadership and revenue. And after doing that for nine or so years, I opened up my own shop in 2017, where we focus on advisory services, investment for uh, my own investments, and then incubation of ideas that we think are really world-changing. Awesome. Tell us uh, a little bit about the advisory services that you're offering now. Yeah, so we take on a limited number of clients every year who need help in the performance of their organization. And generally, I'm getting involved where the performance challenges relate back to people problems. And so people problems could be between an organization and their customers. It could be between leadership and their employees, or it could even be between the markets and investors and the executive team sometimes. People problems. That, that's the interesting way that you put that. I'd love for you to unpack that a little bit more and tell us a little bit about you know, maybe some specific examples of uh, things you work with people on. Yeah, so I've been invited into organizations, for example, where uh, partnerships in professional services firms aren't going very well, and it's distracting them from the day-to-day business because they're not aligned in what they want to get done. And Mm -hmm. so I might come into that professional services organization and help everyone get aligned, and then help them to put a management system in place to really move their organization forward. In some cases, they may have a growing organization that needs to scale, and they've got to put the right systems and processes in place to grow and scale. You know, I've got organizations where there might be a vice president of sales who just wants to have a sounding board to make sure that everything that they're building is being built with best practices in mind. So, yeah. What are some of the specific challenges that you see that some of the organizations you're coaching have that you've helped them overcome? In most cases, I start with leadership and management and make sure that people are managing and leading well. And so, you know, there's three really important things that a leader needs to do in an organization. They have to provide clarity, they have to execute, and they have to create sustainability in the organization. And each one of those things has a very specific set of things they need to do in each pillar. And so I make sure that the leaders are actually leading. And then I take a pretty close look at the organizational design to see if that organizational design fits the things that they want to be doing from a strategic perspective. And then once I've been around for a while, if the company wants to kind of lengthen the engagement, many times we'll get into the more personal and professional development questions around, you know, are the individuals self-actualizing inside the company as well? Mm -hmm. But it starts with uh, clarity and execution and sustainability. In almost every case, we find out where they're missing in one of those three areas, and we start there. So, like, mm-hmm. it's almost like a doctor. I go where the I start where the pain is the highest, right? If someone's got a broken leg or or their heart's not beating the right way, we have to start in the places that are most urgent. And then once we get those kind of big, messy problems solved, we can move to, you know, better physical fitness. Yeah. And, and are there are there very common messy problems that you see from company to company that you know? 
a lot of business people should be looking at right now and, and addressing in their, their own teams? I think that the thing that I, is interesting to me is that oftentimes managers aren't giving a clear message about what's important to them on a regular, consistent basis. So there's no heartbeat in the organization that's clear enough for the organization because there's not a great management system in place. And so, you know, relating back to Cutco, one of the things that Cutco has had for as long as I was at the company is a fantastic management system top to bottom. And it's really easy to take that for granted, how wonderful that management system is. Everything from PDI and weekly metrics, and I'm not sure if you guys still call it closeout every week and every month, but those are things that not every company is as clear about. And the damaging effect of not having those really basic things in place, it's, it's hard to navigate. What other elements of the Cutco management system do you feel like stand out that anyone can be implementing in order to have a more successful team? One of the great things about Cutco, my experience, was the meeting rhythms. I think, again, taken for granted, but they have a really clear set of meeting rhythms that are what I would say are, are a best practice for a sales organization in particular. Now, those the the type of meeting rhythm would be different for an executive team or for a different functional area of a business. So you wouldn't have the same meeting rhythm that Cutco has. You'd have a different rhythm, but it's that rhythm. It's that heartbeat that's been so clear inside of Vector for so long. It's really, really helpful. Mm, that's pretty cool. And then you said that you referenced like the weekly and monthly closeouts, right? That in Cutco, we typically will spend time with a rep at the end of a given week. Our weeks are usually Monday to Monday. Right. And we'll spend time with a, with a given rep on a Monday or maybe a Tuesday morning, just reviewing their previous week's work, helping them with their goals for the next week, just keeping people on track. Yeah. How do you see that being implemented in some of the companies that you have advised? I mean, we talk about metrics all the time and many companies don't have metrics that are that clear, particularly when they're starting up or if they're moving very quickly or scaling very quickly, but they just don't always have the instrumentation available. And so, you know, again, I, I've never like taken Cutco's instrumentation and said that's the perfect fit for somebody else. But I recognize that having instrumentation is really important. Having consistent vocabulary around what a number might mean is super important. And so a lot of organizations, when I go in, it takes a significant amount of energy just to get the numbers together to be able to evaluate them. But when I was a division manager, I got a package on my desk on Monday afternoon, and I was able just to evaluate the numbers. I didn't have to put them together. I knew they were numbers. I knew that they were going to be right, plus or minus a, a percentage that didn't matter. Like I could count on them. And so that is really, really helpful. Hmm. Yeah, we, we definitely work on providing a whole wide array of various metrics for managers to be able to review or reps to be able to review yeah. on a weekly basis to give them a gauge of how they're doing. And, and I view it a lot like vital signs for like a patient in a hospital, right? Like if yeah. there's a patient in a hospital, they have various vital signs that are being monitored constantly. Right. And, you know, if one or the other is in a, a bad area, a bad state, that's something that you want to work on right away and make sure that you know about. And if you don't know about it, you can't work on it. And so we, we're constantly trying to put into people's awareness what their vital signs are, you know, within the Cutco business. Yeah, I think the vital signs in diagnosis are critically important. So when I go to managers and they're, I've heard people say like, so-and-so is not doing their job and they're lazy. I, I really hate that diagnosis because it's so often not true. So I'll say, okay, well, let's, let's unpack lazy. So there's four things it takes for someone to be successful in a role. They've got to have the right skill set. They've got to have the right mindset. They've got to have the right work ethic. 
and they have to have the right resources and the, and the right deployment utilization of those resources. And so let's just go through it. How's their work ethic? Oh, it's fine. Okay, well, they're not lazy then. Do they have the right skill set? Do they have the right mindset? Are they being given the right resources and are they using those resources appropriately the right way? And if we get into those four areas of diagnostic, in almost every case for an individual contributor, we can find the root cause and then choose whether or not we have the right tools to address that root cause. Mm. That was very insightful right there, John. The, the four things people need to be able to be successful, the right skill set, the right mindset, the right work ethic, and then uh, you said deployment of resources, right? Yeah. And those resources could be like, how am I deploying my time or my money or my... Every job has a different set of resources tied to it, but it's, it's really incumbent upon the manager to understand what resources are necessary to be successful and then to help someone learn how to deploy those resources successfully given all the conditions of that job. Oh, that was really good right there where you said it's incumbent upon the manager to know what resources are necessary for someone to be successful and to be responsible for helping them to learn and deploy those resources. That in and of itself was a great insight for anyone to take to the bank to think about how are they working with the people you know, that are under their guidance that they're mentoring and leading. That's right. Yeah, it's, I think it's the manager's job to, to meet the employee where they are. So it's not the other way around. And I think people should always try to meet the other person where they are, right? So if you have two people, I used to think that relationships were 50-50, like, you know, let's meet in the middle. And I've learned that's really dangerous. Like relationships go so much better when I attempt to meet you all the way where you are and you try to meet you all the way where I am. And, and it just, it works better. Oh, that, that was another great insight. We, we've segued a little bit into uh, relationships, which I know is one of the signature concepts that you talk about. You promote that you're focused on improving performance in the workplace by improving professional relationships. Now, let's talk a little bit about that. Tell us what, uh, what you think is important here. Yeah, I think, you know, we talk a lot about relationships, and, and it's not because relationships by themselves make for performance. We can have a great relationship and have poor performance, and that's problematic. I understand that. So we, we talk a lot about skill sets and mindsets, and we talk a lot about, re, you know, utilization of resources and work ethic. But you can have somebody who has those four things, and they're doing really well in those four areas. And if there's a bad relationship, it can crush someone's performance despite having all four of those things doing really, really well. Yeah, so right. I, was, I was advising a company, this is going back, gosh, 12, 13 years, and I get a call from the head of HR, and they said, I need your help. The two top executives in the company just had a screaming match in the conference room, which, by the way, is all glass, surrounded by all the cubicles of the workers. And after a, you know a, a longer than an hour of screaming back and forth, the entire team wants to know, oh, my God, what does that mean for me? And they lost the productivity of the whole team for the afternoon. Hmm. So I called the two executives, and they're like, oh, yeah, we had a great conversation. We had a couple disagreements. We hashed it out. Man, the other guy's great. <laughs> I just thought to myself, like, do you know what you did to your team? Like, do you, do you even recognize what just happened there? And so because people thought that they had a bad relationship or had a, they just didn't have the context for the information, right? right. They didn't know the two had worked it out or that that was their two communication styles. Like the conversation was great. The, the venue was horrible, right? Had they just taken it out off site, it'd have been fine. Right. So, so I think that people need to know that relationships, not just the relationships they have with one another, but just the, the way they operate matters. I, I, I worked with another executive who their manager got really upset with them and 
treated them inappropriately, yelling, screaming, really just inappropriate. And that executive for days was disconnected and that manager lost commitment. And so now here's the funny part. There's people that worked for me when I was at Cutco who were like, John, were you describing yourself just then? (laughs) (laughs) You know, because I made those mistakes for sure during times in my career. Like, like if you're a Cutco alum who worked with me during those times, let me start by saying, I'm sorry. (laughs) <laughs> call me i'll ask for your forgiveness personally and uh and i know i've made those mistakes at time but now i also recognize the damage that did to their performance not just to the relationship mm. Mm. and so how do you advise people to learn to interact with their people when the leader is frustrated or when the leader you know has certain expectations that just aren't met or if somebody is just like blatantly delinquent in, in, in uh, you know, what they're doing. Yeah. You know, people ask me this question and it kind of fits into the same bucket as how do you keep the right level of management mystique for a manager and a person who you're working with? And, you know, I, I work with companies where, where people work together for, you know, 10, 20 years and they have really deep knowledge of each other's personal lives, not just professional lives. And I think it's a really simple concept when you're a manager you're there to help the other person get their needs met. Like you're Mm -hmm. not there to get your own emotional needs met. Mm. You're there to get the company's needs met. That's for sure. But you're not there to get your own emotional needs met. That that's for relationships that are outside of the company. Well, can you unpack that a little bit more? Yeah. So I think if you and I are working together and let's say that I'm your manager for this particular scenario, then my job is not to come and get my needs met about my personal day or my professional day or to have you fill me up. My job in our relationship is to make sure that you have what you need to be effective. And we can have a professional relationship, but that professional relationship needs to be me meeting you where you are. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that I can't disclose information about myself. I can definitely disclose and be vulnerable, but I have to do that knowing that that's about you, not about me. Right. It feels like there's a lot of parallels with parenting, that concept right there. Yeah, there really are. I think I I try to steer clear of marriage and parenting because there are so many similar dynamics, but there's also a whole different power dynamic, psychologically speaking, that I'm not qualified to speak about. Uh, But I will tell you that I am I do feel pretty qualified to speak about the dynamics at work and the psychology there and and that and to say, yes, there are a lot of parallels there, but it's not parental. Right. Right. So that's the big difference is that just because I'm your manager doesn't make me parental to you like that. That can also lead to some problems. Yeah. What if you're if you're working with somebody who's your manager Mm -hmm. and you don't like the way that they're managing you, you don't like the way they're interacting with you? What advice do you have for people who are in that situation? I think you've got to be really smart about how you manage up. And that means in some cases you say something and in some cases you choose not to. Like I've counseled executives at time to be very cautious about communicating up to their management and knowing what type of response they're going to get, because that can be career limiting if you're not Mm -hmm. careful. Like there are managers who are unwilling to hear that type of feedback. And so even though I don't love that answer and I wish the answer was different, I'm also realistic and know that, that some people will make judgments around that. So you've got to be thoughtful before giving feedback on the way up. Yeah. Now the flip side of that is as the leader, shouldn't you make a real effort to create open communication in your organization? Shouldn't you make it clear that you are open to receiving any feedback that people that you're working with have for you? You should only do that if you really are. 
And, right. I, and I say that because I've met right. people who open the door. They're like, I'll check that box. And they get this feedback and then they blow people up because of it. Right. So I would only say a leader should do that if they're willing and they know how to absorb that feedback in a way that is more clinical in the way they absorb it. In other words, they don't take it personally, mm-hmm. but they take it as a real opportunity to grow. Exactly. Isn't that a really important part of being a good leader? I think it is. I mean, I would tell you that I've met people that don't lead that way. So so if you look at like in psychology, the dark triad, which is Machiavellianism and narcissism and psychopathy, you can lead and manage companies that way. And I know lots of very successful companies that are managed that way. It can happen. I would just tell you that it's not optimal because mm-hmm. in that environment, people have to spend a significant amount of energy on the politics and the protection in that environment energy that's not then spent on performing for the environment. Right. So so you don't have to do it that way. I would just tell you I think it's better to do it that way. That way being taking feedback, being selfless, servant leadership. I think those are better organizations because they people are more willing to commit to those organizations and to be more vulnerable and to align themselves to that type of organization. My experience. Yeah, indeed. What other insights would you have on developing better professional relationships that uh, that you find are are compelling? And there's so many. Like, this is an area where I could talk for you know hours and days around professional relationships. The, the most important thing that I see is really to understand what builds a relationship. And so, if I said like, there's foundationally what what do we do to build relationships? Every relationship stands on a foundation of responsibility and accountability, mm-hmm. right? So, if I can't trust you to do what you say you're going to do and to mean what you say, it's going to be really hard for me to build the relationship on top of that. So once you have that foundation, those kind of the base layer, then there's four skill sets to build relationships. One is about appropriate self-disclosure. So knowing when to trust people with information about yourself. One is about trustworthiness so that when someone does disclose information, we hold it confidentially. We're not gossiping. Like we're, we're able to, to handle that disclosure. Mm-hmm. Next is acceptance. And this was the tough one for me during my Cutco days. Accepting somebody where they are. Like I wanted the best for everybody so badly that I got feedback years later that people thought that I was telling them what was best for themselves, which is not at all what I meant, but it's certainly what they heard. And I understand why. I wasn't accepting of where they really were, where they were really headed. Hmm. And then the last one would be just seeing others in their best light all the time. So if you have, you know, responsibility and accountability are at the base, the four skill sets are self-disclosure, trustworthiness in terms of being able to accept self-disclosure, accepting people where they are, even if it's different than where you want them to be, and then seeing people in their best light, regardless of what's happening in the moment. How do you rectify accepting people where they are with your vision of you know what they could be on your team how great they could be what they could be achieving what maybe they don't see for themselves yeah i mean human behavior is a really fundamental part of what i've been studying for years and it's the reason i went back to school to get my doctorate this year is i really wanted to understand what changes human behavior and people control two things their thoughts and their actions Mm-hmm. And so I can talk to you, Dan, and I can see you as being bigger than you are. But if you don't believe that, if you don't act that way, I can't control that. And so I know if I can't control it, the only choice, I, I have two choices now, I can either step away and not care and just kind of wash my hands of it, or I can attempt to influence you. 
But influence requires permission. Mm -hmm. And so, and different people allow that influence for different reasons. And so what I need to do is I need to then decide if I'm going to invest in our relationship and ask for permission to influence you. Now, maybe that's explicit. Maybe it's not explicit. And I want to find out what it is that might motivate you to see the world differently. There's a whole set of motives, right? That motive can be somebody who's in physical pain makes a change much faster than someone who's curious about pleasure in the distant future. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I've got to find what that motive is. And the more powerful the motive, the more likely that I'll be able to influence you. And hopefully we do that in explicit conversation that really is relationship giving. Mm. Really good stuff right there, John. I, I know that as a as a leader, I grapple with that last one that you that we just talked about, that last idea that we just talked about, because a big part of what we try to teach people in vector is you know seeing people as they can become yeah and painting this vision for others of you know what could be possible and not everybody wants those things not everybody desires those things um, right some people just like to be comfortable and happy and they don't have aspirations to be a top achiever for example right. yeah and so i grapple sometimes when i see somebody who i feel like is uber talented that in my view is not maximizing that talent and that opportunity. They could be impacting the world in much greater ways than they are, but they're not. But, you know, they're satisfied with where they are. Yeah, I think this is the difference between offering something to someone and shooting all over them, mm -hmm. right? Like nobody wants to be shut on. It smells bad and no one likes it. Right. But if I bring it to you as an offer, does that make sense? And so if I were coaching you, Dan, I'd say like, hey, Dan, when you, when you say those things, and I think you do this naturally, by the way, but when you do these things, don't like tell them what they should do or how they should see the world. Right. Just say, you know, like, hey, can I offer you a perspective and you can grab onto it or tell me if I'm crazy? Like, what would it feel like for you if you fill in the blank? Hmm. Like, what would that be like for you? Be worth it. Would the effort be worth it? And some people say no. And that's, and, th and that's okay because they still might be a role player. And I've watched leaders who are like, they could do better. They're going to get fired if they don't. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. They're your top performer. They're doing it at 60% of their capacity. And you've got people who are going to pass them. But if they still operate like that for the next five years, is that net positive for the company? Well, yes, but they could be doing more. It's like, dude, we need to start looking at the mirror first. <laughs> like, maybe we should take that same level of intensity to you before we take it to them. Because they're already doing good things for you. They're a great role player. They're a great leader. They're culturally aligned. Are you sure you want to blow that up? Hmm. Boy, that's a very powerful insight and something I think all leaders can really, really ponder. Excellent, excellent stuff. I want to ask you about uh, 2020 because it's been, it's been a crazy year for a lot of people. And I'm wondering what opportunities have shown up for you in your world during this year. It, yeah, it has been crazy. I think I feel just really blessed and fortunate to have had some really great opportunities show up for me in 2020. And so for me, I always want to grow and learn. Like I, I ask everyone in my family and around me to, you know, push me to help me grow. And so this year I was thinking through like, if I were being coached by me, right? Like what would be the things I would challenge myself to do? What blind spots did I have? Or where did I or did I really have a comfort zone that was not good for me? And so as a result of all of that introspection and kind of looking about where I want to be in my life and how I want to impact the world, I decided that I want to go back to school and get a doctorate. 
And I'm not a guy who loves research. I do have a science, a science background in my undergrad with biology, and, and I studied biology and business in like a design my own degree program. But I really thought about how do I go back and learn more about this human behavior stuff? How do I go back and double down and, and really become uh, an expert in this by getting mm -hmm. a doctorate in it? And so I applied to this program at Southern Cal to get my doctorate in social work. And the, the specific program is around how do you change the world at scale? Like, how do you go and influence not just individuals and communities, but policy at the global scale as well? And so I'm, you know, in my second semester right now, really trying to learn about how to impact people. And I've got this really strong desire to impact relationships as we've talked about, but also I think healthcare, just people's well-being is really important to me. I started a company, uh, I was a co-founder of a company. I didn't start it myself, but I, I joined up with Tony Dale uh, as a co-founder with Sidera Health. And uh, Sidera is now one of the fastest growing companies in the country. Inc. 5000 just ranked in the top 200 fastest growing companies privately held in the country. And so as I went into this program at USC, I said, okay, how do I take this performance and relationship stuff to the next level? Well, as I got there, I was exposed to all of these different challenges in the world. And one of them was the healthcare gap that exists across the world. And so I've decided to take all the things I'm passionate about and to take a part of my time to incubate an organization around chronic disease. And how do we really look at patient behavior when they have chronic disease. And so I've got a world-class team of researchers and practitioners that I've pulled together in the last few months. And so while I have this advisory practice that advises people in technology, healthcare areas primarily, I also have a set of investments in those same areas, but I'm also incubating a company in this chronic disease space where we're going to take all these management and leadership policies and, you know, do what we tell other people to do. We, we don't just kind of advise people, we actually do it with my team. And so we're excited about the doing it, not just the talking about it part. Mm, that's really awesome to hear. John, you said, uh, you know, thinking about how we could change the world at scale. Those words really resonate for me. It's really inspiring. And it's something that I hope that we at Cutco Vector can be a part of helping to do as well as changing the world at scale through all the many thousands of people that we are impacting and are giving skills and insights at a very young age that, you know, can help them to make the kind of impact that you're making and that so many others are making. I think you're doing more than you think, Dan. I mean, you know, just before we started recording today, you started kind of giving me ideas about alumni that I could connect with. And, you know, one of the most undervalued assets of Cutco is this alumni network we have. We have this vast, vast group of people that we don't even know who each other are, but we have this shared experience. And so one of the things you're doing, and I hope that, you know, I, and I'd love to support this in some way, but if we had this network that was so strong that I knew that if I could call anybody who had Cutco experience with a shared experience and they'd take my call for five minutes, I'd be willing to do the same. And we have to just let each other know, like, who are the people that have had that success story that want to open a door? Like McKinsey has done it as an organization for a hundred years. And we have that type of talent that we should be tapping into and helping each other. And so you did that for me just before we started recording today, like you're actually doing it. Hmm. Well, thank you for saying that. And I do feel like the alumni portion of this podcast could be the, the beginnings of that kind of network right there. And it would be great to corral, you know, all the alumni you're, you're somewhere around the 70th, you know, alumni guest I've had on the podcast at this point, And that's 70 amazing individuals that are doing incredible things around the world that uh, literally around the world. 
that uh, could be could be impacting each other and and changing the world at scale, as you yeah, said. Absolutely, I think we should sign me up if you need me to do some part of that or connect with those people or take a call. Like I just, I think we could do a lot to help one another, and you know, without thinking about what's in it for us, just how do we help people get where they want to go? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, I'd love to give you an opportunity to share any other advice that you feel like you would like to impart upon the audience of Cutco reps and managers and, and alumni. And, and just for context, I know that you have a pretty good coaching relationship with Jeff Gamboa, and he is, he's on the Mount Rushmore of uh, current Cutco leaders yeah. uh, in the organization right now. So tell us a little bit about uh, what else you feel like you, you would want our, our our uh, organization to hear? You know, I think if I were going back and I got to kind of tell myself one thing on day one of training, you know, like, like just whisper in my own ear, it would have been to pay closer attention to all the lessons and keep a log, like to write down all the life lessons I was learning along the way. I am quite certain that of all the life lessons that I received, I lost more than I captured. And so if I could have a journal of all the nuggets from my career, I think I would have been even further ahead, you know, than where I am today. And, and I think that there's just so many people helping in so many ways, you know, the networks of friends that I've made throughout the years, the managers that wanted to help me, the, the wisdom that I wasn't ready to hear in the moment, but that I look back and, you know, when I remembered it, wish I had, had ingested. So, yeah, I think that if I were, if I were a day one trainee right now and i could just give myself one piece of advice i'd hand myself a notebook and i say just write down every lesson in this notebook and don't ever you know walk away from that notebook but just keep it and share it and see if you can't fill it out and i'd have had uh, even more value than i received from my career with cutco which was incredibly valuable to me that's so awesome we've really started to implement a lot more what we would call active learning at a lot of our conferences and events. And this is one of the things that at summer conference one and summer conference two, we've begun trying to get reps to like journal. What are the lessons you're getting? What are the experiences that you're learning from? Right. What are you learning that applies directly to your future? And just trying to get people to write those things down right away. And if you're a relatively new Cutco rep and you've done that this summer, or you've done that recently, right putting those things in a, in a place that's organized that you can refer back to. It's so critical just to start gathering up those lessons. That That's a great insight, John. I'll say, if you want a copy of my journal, I have a PDF of it. I'll give it to you for free. Like you can take the PDF. I write on my iPad. You can print it out yourself, whatever. I've got instructions for how to use it. But it takes about three minutes a day and it, it starts with gratitude, right? And then it, it, it has lessons learned for each day. And it's been a really powerful exercise for me and so if anybody wants one, I'd say just reach out to me and I'm happy to give you my PDF of it with all the instructions and how I use it. Yeah, I'd love to get that PDF from you and sure. we can we can make it available in our show notes for anybody that wants to be able to access that as well. How about for Cutco managers? Uh, any last bits of advice you'd have for people that are currently working in the company in a leadership role? I think, you know, we talk a lot about this with leadership across many companies and that is to really understand where people are going for themselves personally. And it's what you talked about earlier with me, it's just make some offers instead of shooting on people, like offer them a bigger perspective, offer them a different perspective. And if they say, no, I'm going to go left instead of going right, like support them along that path. And I think most of the managers at Cutco that I know do that really well already. Uh, so I don't think that's like a big aha moment necessarily, but I think that empathy 
uh, and understand, like really listening, understanding somebody helps to do all the other management stuff we talk about better because we accept where they're coming from. It's like if someone's lost in the forest, you have to know where they are to go get them and put them back on the trail. So it's that important first step of identifying where they are that's so critical to management. Excellent. John, this has been really, really awesome. I, I know the audience has gotten a ton of value from this conversation. I really, really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to be able to give back. And uh, excellent, excellent stuff that you've shared today. Thanks a lot for being part of the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks, Dan. All right. John Oberg, everyone. That was a powerful conversation with a truly dynamic and inspiring leader. I'm really excited to have shared that with you all here today. Cool to hear John's lessons from being a rep and manager with Cutco Vector. The idea of making a schedule and balancing activities, right? Having that plan in place so that you're not just drifting from one activity to the next, but really thinking about your calendar. The concept of influence that he learned as a manager, coaching people, problem solving, and innovation. I love where he talked about influence and he said that influence requires permission. And he also said a manager is there to help others get their needs met. And oftentimes this involves setting aside our own egos and making sure that we are serving the people who are with us. And that involves empathy and getting to know what they want and what are their aspirations and their visions. Along those lines, as a vector manager, I've never been afraid of the idea of someone leaving or moving on, right? It's a normal part of what we have to deal with in vector being that we recruit people who are you know, 18 to 21 years old most of the time. And by definition, they're gonna move on, they're gonna do other things, the vast majority of them will. And I think that, that part of what we try to do is develop people to be able to live out their dreams, whether that's in vector or not. Now we try to paint a vision of how they can do that in vector and keep them. But for many of them, they're going to find other avenues to be able to live out their dreams. And that's a part of what uh, we do and how we operate. Somebody once asked me a question that was along the lines of, you know, how do you feel providing such great training for all those people and then having them leave? And obviously, it's a lot better than not training people and having them stay. So, you know, that's part of what we do is we develop people to the highest level for their own future. But having that sense of empathy for what people want, being able to suss out where they're at and what they aspire and, and serving their needs. thought that was a great insight. He talked about metrics as well as meeting rhythms that he learned in Cutco or that Cutco offers that could be applied in any other business. I think it's worth considering right now, what are some of the vital signs for your own business? What are some of the vital signs for the people who work for you or with you? And are we helping people to be aware of those vital signs at regular intervals? Are we providing that rhythm where they're constantly being made aware of how they're doing in the aspiration of achieving the goals that they have with the company or with what they're doing in life. That was powerful. And then I also love where John talked about just keeping a log, a journal of all your lessons. 
It's one of the reasons why I like to write, you know, blogs or posts about lessons I'm learning because I feel like it helps me to internalize those concepts and it gives me a permanent record of those concepts. John has a PDF that uh, we will share a link to on our in our show notes. If you go to changinglivespodcast.com, go to the show notes, those will show up there uh, relatively quickly after the episode is released. Uh, you can also sign up on the Changing Lives Podcast page uh, to receive other such resources from many of our guests. I've been collecting uh, resources from a lot of guests, and if you sign up, you'll be able to get those emailed to you from time to time so that you can leverage the wisdom and the insights of all of the incredible guests that we have had on the podcast. I love that John said his aspiration is to change the world at scale. That's what we stand for here in Cutco and Vector through our, uh, the ripple effect of our influence on so many thousands of young people. And it's what I stand for here with this podcast. And I hope that you uh, would be willing to share the podcast with other people, particularly an episode like this that could benefit anyone anywhere, whether they're in Cutco or not. And that you could take a moment to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts as that does help us with spreading the word about all of the great things that we are doing here in Cutco and Vector and all the ways that we are aspiring to change the world at scale as well. Thank you so much for listening to John Oberg today. Hope you enjoyed it. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, please consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player and hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives.